Welcome back to another episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. Hey, crickets. What? Come on. What's going on here? Let's try this again. Welcome back to another episode of the Fab Lab Podcast with Aaron Crowley. Hey, that's better. That's more like it. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, I am your host, and I'm so glad to be tuning in with you. Couple of days late here, meant to get this episode posted on Friday. It's going to be Monday, just a couple of days late, and I know that we missed a week before. Was traveling a little bit, just couldn't pull it off. So many things going on in my business is plural that I just could not get to the last episode. But the episode today, my first part interview with my friend Ed Young. This was worth waiting for, ladies and gentlemen. Real interesting. Ed Young is, is becoming a uh, a great friend of mine, but uh, we were introduced for the first time here recently, last fall, and it was just amazing. We were introduced by another fellow stone fabrication professional in the industry, and just incredible how many similarities, how many things that uh, that we have in common. Couple of them being that Ed lived in Oregon. This is where I live, my hometown. He lived in Oregon and ran a fab shop here uh, a number of years ago. He also is an avid, avid avid sailor. He's sailed sailboats across oceans. I have tipped them over in some small lakes. But uh, anyway, we definitely share that passion. And and more though than that, though, as it relates to this episode on the Fab Lab podcast, and quite frankly, the next episode, it turns out our conversation, one episode was simply not long enough for us to get through everything that we wanted to talk about. And so part two will be coming soon. But in this episode, we get into the nuts and bolts, the nitty gritty of building a successful stone fabrication operation. So ladies and gentlemen, if you like to geek out on topics that relate to your fab shop, the organization, the manufacturing, the process by which you move templated countertops through the process to installation, you're going to love this interview. Ed Young has this massive, massive background in manufacturing Uh, Theory of Constraints, Lean Manufacturing, and the Stone Industry, and he brings it all together now at FabricatorsCoach.com. He is a consultant and a coach for stone fabrication shop owners, and man, he and I are on the same page. It's so interesting. While we share having lived in Oregon, while we share, um, you know, he has an experience in sailing, I simply have a passion for it, and and we share this interest and this desire to benefit the stone industry, what's what's really interesting, it's, it's actually a surprising the similarities, the commonalities of our philosophy. This is what's so cool. We had a number of conversations this last fall. And then Ed sent me some videos that he had created, some fantastic resources on, on essentially implementing some of these principles that he he advocates and has implemented many, many times over for fab shop owners. And I I I had I watched him and I had to get back. I said, Ed, we gotta talk. We gotta have you on the Fab Lab podcast. What you have articulated in these videos and in your in your teaching is in a sense exactly what I attempt to advocate. It's In a lot of ways, it's a, it's a representation of my business. And at one point I said, Ed, you might have to come out here and see my operation because I think the business that we built, the fab shop that we operate, um, sh- just shockingly mirrors his methodology. And so finally had an opportunity to have him on the Fab Lab podcast. And I'm not going to do too much to, uh, to get in the way that I want to just tee it up and let the interview, let the conversation speak for itself because it's great. And it's part one. Now, before we get to the interview, I just want to mention a word from our sponsor. Last few episodes, 
I've just simply forgot to mention sponsors. I've been so passionate. I've been so focused. I've been so into the topics that we have been talking about here on the Fab Lab podcast that I haven't even, the, the, the sponsors haven't even entered into my notes. It's just like, I want to get to this information and it's so important for me to share it. I want so desperately for you, fellow fabricator, ladies and gentlemen, for you to learn as much as possible. And in some cases, Having a sponsorship moment kind of gets in the way. But today I want to mention a word from our sponsor, No Lift Install System. Now, there are two realities in our business. Two realities. Uh, there's lots of realities. But here are two that I want to talk about. Number one, people are not lining up outside of our doors, fellow fabricator, begging down the door, trying to get a job installing. It, it, it's as if the word is out. I can tell you, I talk to a lot of fabricators. And it is almost universal that finding installers is becoming harder and harder and harder to do. They just simply aren't out. Whether the word has got out that the work is so difficult, (laughs) so hard and so low paying that nobody wants to do it anymore, or just the labor pool, there's so many other opportunities that, you know, it's just, it's drained the labor pool. So number one, reality, there are not as many installers for us to choose from as there used to be years ago. The second reality is that picking up, lifting, carrying, 3CM countertops, day in and day out, wears out installers. It is an inescapable reality, an unavoidable reality, that over time, eventually, the wear and tear that picking up, carrying, walking, lifting upstairs, reaching, stretching, maneuvering countertops, trying to preserve those fragile pieces while they're set onto the cabinets to be laid down flat, it eventually catches up, whether it's three years, five years, seven years, a few guys make it to 10 and beyond, it's very few. That's the second reality. The reality is, is that eventually the wear and tear, the weight of the countertop catches up with the installer and they will become physically unable to do the work. And the brain drain, the skill set drain that occurs when a highly qualified, highly skilled, highly experienced installer is no longer able to do that work because his body can't do it any longer When you connect those two realities, shrinking labor pool and the physical reality of carrying countertops, it is leading towards a point at which we got to ask the question, how are we going to get these countertops installed? In today's episode, we're going to talk about manufacturing countertops, how to get them more efficiently moved through production. That's great. But if you don't have somebody to install those countertops, going to be hard to please the customer, going to be hard to get paid. So ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand Fellow fabricators, you know I have a fab shop. You and I can speak on the same level. We can speak eye to eye and talk reality here with nothing, you know, no, no, no punches pulled. And I'm telling you, if you've got installers right now that are lifting, carrying, picking up, hauling those countertops into people's houses day in and day out, it's just a matter of time before you're going to lose them. And in this labor pool, you cannot afford to lose them. So check out noliftsystem.com. No lift install system is the solution to this reality. It is solving the single biggest problem facing stone fabricators today. So check out noliftsystem.com and see how you can get a cart that will help your installers. Instead of putting that burden on them, instead of expecting their bodies to wear out over time, let the cart bear that burden so that they can continue installing, so that their careers can be extended. They can continue to develop as professionals for years and years and years to come benefiting your company, noliftsystem.com. Now back to the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Ed Young. Enjoy. That appears to be recording. So, we ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, three, <laughs> three, three, two, one. Okay. 
Hi, Ed. Welcome to the Fab Lab Podcast. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you letting me let me come on board. Man, I'm so glad to finally have this opportunity. You and I have talked numerous times, and I have I have learned and enjoyed every conversation we have ever had, and it is a, pl- a privilege and a pleasure to have you on the Fab Lab Podcast. I know our audience is going to learn a lot today, so thank you for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. The privilege is all mine. This is my first uh, podcast uh, attempt, the first chance being as a, a guest on one. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, well, well, you know your stuff. So as long as we just kind of pretend like nobody's listening, I think this is going to end up being a great conversation that uh, the fabricators that are listening are, are really going to benefit from. And so I just kind of wanted to begin, you know, when we first talked, you you brought me back to your you know, the, the beginning of your introduction to the stone industry. And uh, so, so let, if, if you don't mind, can we just kind of backtrack to that point? Walk us through, you know, how did you get introduced to the stone industry? And, um, and then let's, let's talk about the DuPont days, because I find that very, very intriguing. Well, they're both really tightly tied together. I'm not like a lot of guys who tried to buy countertops, got frustrated, went and started their own business. Uh, <laughs> I haven't done that. Um, but, um, I, I, when I got introduced to the stone industry, I'd been consulting for, for quite a few years and I had a guy who brought me into a countertop shop and they were next to a municipal airport. They, um, they were landlocked at a really small lot that they were working off of. And they wanted to do a plant layout project to, um, to try to help improve their flow because the business was growing and they were struggling to keep up with customer demand, lead time for stretching out. And the more we looked at it, the more we realized they didn't have a layout problem. They had a scheduling problem. Hmm. So we went in and changed how they scheduled and ran their business. And that short story is they went from about, a, uh, and it's been 20 years, so I got to think a minute, went from about an eight to 12-week lead time to a fixed, I think, five or six-day template to install lead time. Wow. And they took that and just grew the business like crazy, ended up adding a second shift. And interestingly enough, I got introduced to that business by a mutual friend, and they were able to take that success of that business and take it to DuPont, because, huh. you know, DuPont makes core, and at the time, Zodiac, which I believe was the first man-made, first corpse product out there, DuPont saw the value in it, and they took a team of us into all of their largest fabricators nationwide. Wow. And that was essentially the DuPont project. And that ran wide open from about, let's see, that project was in 01 and DuPont project started up uh, about two or three years later. And it ran as a, as a program until probably 09 or 10, right about the, the early parts of the recession, it started slowing down. Okay. So yeah. you were doing consulting prior to that first you know, uh, introduction to a stone fabrication company. And then you got on board with DuPont and they were going into fab shops and taking what they knew and, and, and introducing those concepts, those manufacturing concepts. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was lean manufacturing more than just consulting, you know, quote unquote. So how, how, what did they know? What did they understand that, that the stone industry, you know, probably didn't at that point and to a large degree still doesn't know today. What, what was it that was, uh, that, that, that you guys were bringing to those fabrication companies? Well, it was, it was a little bit of lean, but it was a lot of uh, constraint management or, or TOC, theory of constraints. If you've read The Gold by Ellie Goldratt, mm-hmm. that was a big core of what we were doing. And I think what got DuPont turned on was the fact that you could actually get some sanity in the fabrication business. You know, being a B2C business, business to consumer business, as you well know, 
is, is just, it's so crazy and you got to deal with a lot of gray areas. And if you don't control all of your processes from first contact with the customer till the time you're finished and the customer is delighted, then you're going to have a crazy business. And that's where I find a lot of my clients are. That's why they reach out to, uh, to me. But what I think DuPont saw was there was a way to settle that down and to get good focus by everybody in the organization and to start taking a lot of the chaos and, and, and reducing that, reducing the stress. And when you can predict that, as you know, when you can predict to a, to a homeowner, customer, contractor, that you're going to install their countertops on a certain date and it's not two months from now, and you start hitting that consistently all the time, you build that reputation. That's huge for a fabricator to have that kind of reliability and to, and to be able to, to manage your business that well. Yeah. So I think DuPont saw the business aspects of it and they didn't really learn anything from us. What they did was they made introductions for us to their large fabricators, the ones that felt like were the most competent throughout the country at the time, and then basically introduced us. And then we went in, did assessments. And then for the ones that it made sense for, we, we spent some time with them and helped them put those systems in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if I mentioned this to you one of the times that we had talked before, but there was a DuPont rep that came to our shop in the early 2000s, and they were looking for a fabricator to rep their, um, the, I think it was Zodiac, was that their, their Zodiac, quartz brand? Yeah. Yep. And um, and it was, I was so close-minded, I was like, get out of here. And, and so to look back now and realize that massively missed opportunity, who knew quartz was going to become what it became, and I was a stone guy. And, yeah. and, and how much the business would have benefited from having that kind of understanding brought in and, and, and allowing us teaching, teaching us how to arrange the business and to control and, and to focus on constraints versus learning it by trial and error the hard way. Uh, I, I really well, regret but, but that. To your credit, you've taught yourself that. You've done that. I mean, there, there are very, very few people in any industry I've run across who've been able to take book learning like that and conversations with a few people and go in and make it work in their business. That's very, very tough to do. So hats off to you for having done it. Well, you know, and, but you mentioned that, you know, the book, the goal that I was introduced to that book, it probably in that same time frame. I was hungry to learn because it was so obvious. I didn't know anything. And that was one of the most profound books. In fact, it's on my website is one of the top three books that I, I credit, um, you know, my, my philosophy that exists today was born out of that story. Um, so talk a little bit about that. How, how does the, for those that may not have read the goal, you should, um, it, it's, it's a great story, but for those that are not familiar with that concept, get, give a quick overview of, of the principles that he lays out in that book. Yeah. Well, first off, if you like to read it all, it's easy to read book because it's a fictional story about a guy named Alex who's running a manufacturing plant and all the stuff that he goes through, it talks about his personal life and about things at work. So it's a really easy to read book. And I like the way that, uh, that, that gold rat, who is the author presents all that. Um, but the, the key, the key concepts of the goal are that you, you go find a bottleneck and then you, it's how you treat that bottleneck, how you manage that and, and all the, the tools and techniques around that. The interesting thing is, is that when you read the book, you think this is a book about how to break bottlenecks, mm-hmm. you know, go in and find it and break it and then find the next one and break it. And there's this, five-step process that you go through to do that. What's really what we found through doing that over a number of years, and it was prior to the DuPont program as well, was uh, the key is not so much finding the bottleneck as it is making a strategic decision for where you want your ultimate bottleneck to Mm -hmm. to, to be. 
And the reason is, is that when bottlenecks are moving around, you're constantly chasing it. I mean, you know what that's like hour to hour, day to day on a shop floor. Mm-hmm. Somebody's out, you've got absenteeism, uh, machine tool is wearing, so you got to slow it down, all those types of things. And that makes it tougher to predict what your output's going to be and when that job's going to be finished, unless you plan on working a lot of overtime, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the things you want to try to avoid, obviously. So by making a strategic decision on where that ultimate bottleneck is going to be and go at cause that a constraint, that's kind of the leverage point. You start to leverage your business around it. It gives the team, the entire company, really, really great focus. You focus on what is your impact on that one operation. And there's some, there's some tools and techniques around how you select that and how you manage around that. Mm-hmm. But the goal is really about getting that focus and then the tools and techniques around you know, managing it so you get the, the output that you need out of your business. And you start to predict your output out of the business. Hmm. When, are, when are jobs going to ship? When are they going to be ready to install? And, and do that very accurately. That's the key. Yeah. Well, and there's just, man, there's, there's so many ways to take, you know, to, to rabbit trail off of that. There's so, you know, in terms of one, one question comes to mind is, is of all of your consulting with fabricators, do you see a commonality or a, or a pattern in terms of the most, the most common constraint or bottleneck that fabricators face. Um, so you're not in your head. What, what, what would that be? Well, and when you, when you look at, at industry in general, there are, there's some rules that you or some guidelines you go about to select that constraint. When you look at the fabrication business specifically, you know, technology is not something that really is a competitive advantage. You know, whatever machine you buy today is just going to be cheaper tomorrow and there's going to be something new next week. Okay. So it's not really a competitive advantage. Uh, skills of individual people. Well, people come, people go, they get out sick, they take vacations, they retire, all those types of things. So when you start looking at, you know, where's that competitive advantage that you like to, that represents your business or your unique uh, position in the market, for fabricators, it, it can be a lot of things, but it's tough to pin that down to a process step because this constraint identification is, at the end of the day, a process step. And so without something that's, that's um, specific to fabrication that that makes a lot of sense in terms of that competitive advantage, then it makes sense to select that constraint closest to the customer. I call it closest to where the cash register rings. And of course, in this business, that closest point is install. Some folks will select finish polish just prior to install as their constraint. And there, there's some reasons for both. But the thing I see happening most often is either finish polish or install as that selection because it drives a focus really down to what do we need to do to please that customer and get that installed day on time and do it right. Yeah. And so the, the, when I think of the word constraint, you know, I think of a, of a limitation or a, you know, a bottleneck. And so, um, you know, when you look, if you're going to say, you know, installers are going to be our, become our strategic focus. Cause you're right. You know, you don't get the check when the countertop's done finished, you know, being polished, right. you get the check when the countertop's installed and the customer says they're happy with their kitchen you know, so that what you're saying is that install in and of itself may not be the limiting factor on output, but it's the place where you're choosing to focus and orient your strategy around, you know, that that's your starting place. Okay, install is going to become this baseline. Is that is that a correct way to say that? Yes and no. Okay. What is, it may not be your current constraint or your current most frequent bottleneck in terms of capacity limitation. You may decide you want you want your constraint to be installed, but that may not be where your limitation is. Part of the process of setting this up in a, in a fab plant is, all right, let's say you select install as your constraint. 
you may actually have a problem with capacity at your CNC for some reason. Okay. Well, there's some tools and techniques to increase and free up capacity at that CNC, which is kind of your most frequent bottleneck right now. So that essentially you're going to drive that bottleneck to the constraint. So when you're after a period of time and, you know, how much time and how complex depends on, you know, your unique, unique situation in your plant, but you want to drive that capacity limitation to the place that you've selected the constraint install for our example. And what happens is you're not reducing the capacity of the overall plant. You're not saying, all right, if, if uh, CNC can put out, you know, 500 square feet a day, I want to reduce that to 400 so that it, you know, it's, it's less or, it's, you know, it, I'm driving my constraint to install. Now, what I want to do is make sure I don't go below that 500. I'm freeing up CNC to where it's doing 550, 600 install is set at about 500 because that's what they can do. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we, that's one of the metrics that we use. But, but interestingly enough, we don't spend a lot of time on square footage as a metric. That's a whole nother conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you're not, the bottom line is you're not reducing the capacity of the business. What you're doing is you're driving that capacity limitation to where you want your constraint to be. And you actually end up increasing the capacity of the business overall when you do a lot of this, because then that's when you get into the lean techniques, the whole value added, non-value added, and looking at how can I reduce the non-value added activities, which frees up time to do more value added, which is what customers pay you for. We can quantify that in dollars, by the way. And, and you end up increasing the capacity of the company overall, and you get control of what's happening and what's critical and get a really good focus, gives you better performance, better business performance, more profit. Great. Yeah, so that, you know, for, uh, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm seeing my calendar, I'm seeing the guys loading up at install, and I'm seeing the CNC back there. And so, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this, and it's, you know, I've got a couple of goals as a fabricator. I want to, I want to, make a commitment to the customer and I want to be able to deliver on that, you know, <laughs> that commitment Absolutely. install. Yeah. It's got to flow through install. But what you're saying is that even though install may become my focus to begin with, it's calling it a constraint. And that's, I guess where I was trying to go with this in my mind, I think of constraint as, as synonymous with a, a limitation or with a bottleneck where it's yeah. more needs to get through there to, to, to balance the, 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 the enterprise or to balance all of the, the various stages of production. But what you're saying is that may not be the case. Install is where we focus, but it's CNC is, is what's limiting enough work getting to install so that those commitments can be made. It's temporarily CNC would, okay? okay, but we do want to end up with install being that limiter. Okay, now that doesn't mean that you stop there. Mm-hmm. Once you understand how to set all this up, and there's there's some buffers that you need to set up, and there's some metrics that you need, and some scheduling you need to work on in terms of how you make your phone calls and all that. But when you pull this thing together, now you know, for example, how much profit are you planning to make next Thursday? Mm-hmm. You know, can you answer that today? Mm-hmm. And, and and most business people can't. Most fabricators can't. Okay, yeah. when you've got really good predictability and control of your shop. You can answer that. And if you see the opportunity to grow market share and increase sales, now you know what has to happen in this flow from template to install to take your capacity up, not losing control of what's going on in the plant and do it in an orderly fashion. So you've got control of it. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of this entire system is what I call predictability and control. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, all right, we're, we're recording this early in February So by mid-February, with a decent backlog, 
looking at your performance month to date, looking at the backlog that you've got, if you've got this system really dialed in and you're working it well, your management team's executing well, you can predict what the bottom line on your P&L statement for February is going to look like before the month's over. That's predictability and control because you know what's going to install tomorrow. You know how much profit you've got scheduled for next Thursday. And and you've got a high degree of confidence that's going to happen because you've got control of your plan. So don't let the, the constraint terminology, the bottleneck terminology throw you. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, there's a there's a timing factor in there when you start off. Yeah, install may not be your ultimate bottleneck. We're going to drive it there over time and then give you the control and the good visual control so that you can manage that well and still increase the ability of your company to make money. Mm-hmm. And so the way I've looked at that is balance is, is, is not necessarily always identifying my bottleneck at any given point but trying to achieve a balanced capacity at every stage. And it's uh, like you're saying, it kind of moves back and forth depending on the size and the volume of businesses going, you know, through the shop at any given time. But that, in in fact, the the more balance you have, the more problems you have with bottlenecks because a little bit of variation. And now that saw that was running really well, it wasn't a bottleneck this morning. Now, after lunch, all of a sudden it's a bottleneck because I got a little bit more wear and tear on that blade. I got to slow the saw speed down a little bit. <clears throat> or I've got a harder material coming in. I got to run a little bit slower. Now all of a sudden I got a bottleneck and the closer those capacities are balanced, the, the more bottlenecking you have, the more it runs around. That's why this constraint selection is important. And that's why setting up the buffer zones in front of the constraint are really important because it gives you visibility of what's happening at the saw, at the CNC, at polish, how that's going to impact your, your constraint, which in our example is installed. And even the idea of how that would work, you would set up, say, a red zone buffer. Use use simple red, yellow, green terminology and make it really visual. We've actually gone into shops and painted the floor, you know, to, <laughs> to make it red, yellow, and green. Make it really easy to manage. Put a big four-by-eight board up on the wall and, and color-cut it that way. But, for example, if install was my constraint and I wanted to have a, a fixed five- or six-day lead time template to install, I'd do something like, Red zone buffer right in front of the constraint. I've got three install crews. They typically do two kitchens a day because of of my geography here where I drive to. And so I've got basically six rectangles on the floor for six A-frames, one for each job. Okay. I'd paint those red and I'd have a rule, something like by noon today, I want every job that's going to be installed tomorrow that's on the schedule for tomorrow. I want it there. I want it complete. I want it fully inspected. I want it fully signed off on. I want the sinks. I want the faucets. I want everything that's got to be done splashes, everything on those a frames and somebody signed off on them. So I can go do my, when I do my walkthrough of the plant or about lunchtime, I'm, that's the first place I'm checking because if I've got a job that's not complete or I'll look at something and I see a defect or I see a splash is cracked or a crack at a sink cut out, something like that. That's a, what we call a hole in the red zone. That's like a five alarm fire. Nothing else matters because if I don't fix that today, that install tomorrow is at risk. I can't read the cash register on that job. Right. And if I miss that, yeah, I can do some overtime later on, but that's like having a hotel room that was vacant last night. I can't go back and refill the hotel room, right? That's such a great example. <laughs> perfect example. So that's, that's, you know, one example of, of how some of the system that you have to manage this. Mm-hmm. So everybody's got the focus. They know what's going on. And then, of course, you can define your yellow zone, your green zone, and, and there are ways to manage this that make sense. Mm-hmm. 
And what's really cool is that when you set up the management aspect of this, you, you start getting into, I think you call it rhythm of rhythms is, is one of the terminologies you use, where you've got this regular pace, this regular cadence for your managers and your key people. They know what to expect. They know when to expect it. You can do a quick 10 minute stand up meeting at a certain time every morning. It's the same agenda. It's a status meeting. Everybody knows what's what questions to be ready to answer. And it starts working like clockwork once you get in the routine of, of that rhythm works really well. Yeah. Well, and that's where that predict you're, you're talking about predictability. Not only can you predict, you know, assuming that nothing's broken and that, you know, that, that, that everything goes according to plan, you really can forecast what your bottom line should be. You can forecast to your customer in terms of when they can expect you to be there. So that's, you know, that's huge. And, and that, that, that allows other benefits to occur to the owner in terms of the reduction in when it, when it becomes more predictable and it, because it's repeating itself, it, talk, talk about how the experience for the owner changes as, as perhaps one moves away from, you know, a chaotic environment where there is no rhythm in terms of how the work is scheduled or how it moves through the shop or the order with which it, it enters one phase of production versus the other or, or how other jobs vie for that, you know, next spot on the SAR, the CNC or the finishing department. How, what, what, describe the transformation that is possible for an owner as this takes, you know, benefits the customer, benefits the, the, the bottom line. How does it benefit the owner? Well, the, the key for the owner is the owner starts to get their life back. I mean, why, why be in this business and work so hard to make money if you can't enjoy it? You know, to me, that's 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 almost like a, a cardinal sin. I, I think it's just wrong that that bad shop owners, uh, the ones I run into, you know, have businesses that own them instead of they own their business. The business runs them instead of them running the business. They may be making so in some cases making more money than they ever thought they would ever make in their lives, but they don't have time to enjoy it. You know, they can't get away from the phone and have lunch with their with their wife. Of course, that's tougher to do these days, you know, go out and do that, but they can't go on vacation and, and not have to worry about the shop the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they can't sleep good at night because they wake up at two o'clock in the morning worrying about, oh, gee, we forgot to do so-and-so that install is going to be today. I got to, you know, got to go in at five o'clock and get ready for that. Those kind of things start going away. And it's kind of interesting. We had a, a main guy who would go in and do the, in the DuPont program, he would do the initial assessments of, of prospective companies that, or fab shops that DuPont had referred us into. Uh, and so after we completed an engagement, he would also go back and follow up and, you know, get feedback and collect some metrics and stuff like that. Cause DuPont wanted to know what kind of impact we're having. And he had, he has multiple examples of people saying, look, yeah, we made more money, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me my life back. Mm. You know, and when you can go in to make that kind of difference, yeah for not just for the owner, but for the entire company, for the whole team. I mean, if, yeah, the owner's stress level goes down and they're much happier to get their lives back, but their people are not going through this chaotic churn all day long either. Yep. You know, it's, it's uh, you're really having a big impact on people's lives, which is one of the things I like about what you're doing with your no lift system is, you know, you're having an impact on people's lives. Yeah. It's a good product and it does a good job, but it's that impact on individuals and making their life better that gets guys like me and you up in the morning, right? Yep. No, and I, and I, you know, it, it, thank you for mentioning that. I think the same thing for the podcast, you know, is having been on both sides of this experience of the chaos, <laughs> you know, that, that was born out of just, um, 
no real strategy for how the work was arranged. I didn't come out of a manufacturing background where these principles were taught and, 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 and understood or at least had some familiarity with them. And, you know, you start doing a good job and then more people are coming to you and now you got to hire a couple of people to help you. And well, now, shoot, I got to buy a piece of equipment. A lot of times those, as the business grows, it doesn't grow according to a, a, a plan or a strategy. It's just sort of out of necessity. And then you find yourself in this situation where the enterprise has got to a point where it is, <laughs> it's in control. And, yep. and, and, you know, and I, so I think that's actually a much more common story, a much more common experience among, you know, tradespeople, fab shop owners in particular. And, and, and it's exciting to, to be able to offer, in a sense, hope. Um, now, some people thrive on that. Great. More power to you. But other people that are going, you know, <laughs> um, this isn't exactly what I had planned when I started this, uh, you know, business. And to know that there is a systematic, um, repeatable approach to this. And this is one of the things I was always so encouraged when you're watching your video series on your website that, you know, the... The, the overview of this concept where where I might have been, uh, we, we kind of arrived at the same destination, but being able to, I think where the, the gap I always felt in, in, in inherently in my own understanding of what I'd built was I would have had a hard time really clearly giving somebody a first step, a second step, a third step, if they wanted to replicate this idea, if they liked the idea of being able to tell their customer, contractor, homeowner, whoever, the date that that countertop was going to install and know that the system was going to enable that to happen along the way, whether it's two weeks from now or six weeks from now or next week, um, it's somebody that is intrigued by that idea recognizes that the business has kind of become something that is in you know it is dictating to them whether they can go for lunch with their wife, whether they can take a vacation, whether or not they can get a good night's sleep at night. Um, to know that there is a methodical, principled, um, long-standing approach to this that it isn't born out of the stone industry. This this goes far beyond the stone business and much bigger industries, much bigger enterprises use this approach to build a successful manufacturing company. So I just I am so excited um, to know that you've got that. So uh, to that point, I don't want to do all the talking here. It's hard it's hard not to because I it, I share your enthusiasm to see other fabricators make that transition, that evolution out of that chaotic stressful environment into one where it's calmer, it's more predictable. So what, what is the first step? I mean, if hypothetically speaking, and I'm sure it's not a hypothetical, there are people listening to this going, yeah, that's me. And yeah, that sounds great. Where do they begin? What's, what, what do you tell people is the first step in that process? I'll tell you one of the first things I do before we get into implementation, I'll actually talk to a business owner about what's your exit strategy. Hmm. And I'll tell you why. When you think about fundamentally what, what we're talking about doing in a business, we're going to change some really key aspects of how you run your business. That's a little bit of a scary thing. Hmm. You've got policies and procedures that you have carved in, in stone, literally, <laughs> okay, in this business, because they've served you well and because that's how you run your business. They fit your values. You may have key people that help you build that business. Hmm. <laughs> well, the folks that got you where you are today aren't necessarily the ones that will carry you where you got to go in the future. And I'm not saying you end up losing all those folks, but as you make changes like this, 
you're going to hit milestones in this process. Whereas a business owner, you got to make some tough choices. And it doesn't mean you're going to run Bob off, who was the guy working with you in a garage when it was two of you starting this business <laughs> up in your garage. Okay. Doesn't mean you're going to have to do that. But you may have a family member in the business that ends up being the one that's kind of holding up progress for mm. some reason. I've run into that many times. Mm. Um, you know, the fact that you're you're a Ford guy and you or you're a let's say you're a Dodge guy and you love sprinters. And you really need to change. You decide after we get involved that you need to change over to trucks and trailers. I know that's one of your favorite setups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could be anything like that. I'm just throwing out some examples out. But having a really clear understanding of where you want to go with your business and, and essentially with your life is really important because to navigate that process, you got to have you got to be motivated. Mm -hmm. And I have had clients where I have declined to work with them because what they told me was, dude, I just I need to make a I just need to make a little bit more money. You know, I, I'm just not making enough money or I'm working seven days a week. If you get me back to six days a week, I name up my next kid after you. <laughs> You're telling me you want to die at your desk, guy. You know, what's what, where do you want to go after, you know, before you die? You know, what what's mm. what else is out there for you? You know, tell me that you want to play the great golf courses of the world after you retire. Great. Give me a list of those. What are the greens fees? What's it going to cost you to go travel and stay there for a week once COVID's over with? Okay. <laughs> and I can do things like get a poster of the 18th green at St. Andrews in Scotland and put that up on your wall in your office. And then when we start hitting those milestones, we got to deal with some of those sacred cows. Now we've got something that reminds us of why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really step one is, mm -hmm. is that commitment to change is really the first thing. Um, and then once you get past that and we, we're all good to go. And that's one of the reasons I like working in businesses this size. I've, I've done some of the large fortune 100 stuff. I've done some international work. That's all well and good. Looks good on a resume. Looks good on a website, but it's not nearly as much fun because once a couple of guys like me and you sit down across from the desk from each other, we agree on a game plan. We can start right now. You know, I, I go work with a fortune 100 company. I gotta get 15 people to approve it. And any one of them could say no for any reason they want to. Right. <laughs> You know, we can make things happen. It's a lot of fun. So that's why one of the reasons I like this business, in addition to making a difference for people. But the first first real big decision is making that strategic decision for where the constraint's going to be. And and we can kind of talk through that. And, and we've talked a little bit about that already today. But that's really the first technical step in that is making that decision and getting good definition around that. And then we've got several steps we'll run to beyond that that help build the system. But that's really step number one. Okay. So you're, you, you begin with the end in mind. You know, I mean, I've been talking a lot about that at the beginning of this, this third season of the Fab Lab podcast. You know, so what, what, do, what, what is this business, what role does it play in your life? Is it the dominating focus? Is that your life or does, is it a means to an end outside of the business? And once you begin to define that, the power and the clarity that you gain in the business, to your point, when you start grappling with some of these issues and changes that you've got to make, because you understand the stakes, it's like, I'm sorry, the momentary discomfort of the fact that you don't like what kind of install rig we're transitioning to is not great enough to delay or deter me fr from what I ultimately must do. Yeah. Now, for me, I, <laughs> it's not golf, man, I'll tell you that. The in fact, I've said, <laughs> interesting aside, the only thing I have ever done 
that was more frustrating than run a fabrication business was try to play the game of golf. I that was I, I had to give it up. Uh, my my blood pressure, my anger. I was going to need counseling if I continued down that road. But whether it's I'm with you, I'm with you on that one. Sure. <laughs> you know, St. Andrews, whether it's yeah. whether it's travel, what, no matter what it is for the individual, I I just want to I want to come back on that and just reemphasize the importance of of taking that step first. What are the stakes? What's at yep. stake? And and how does this business, if we can arrange it right, how does it enable that? you know, make it more likely to happen or how does it make it possible? And then, and then working back from there. And so that, uh, I love hearing that, man, it's so important. Absolutely. Uh, I'm working with a client now in another industry. Uh, it's about a $4 million business. And the exit strategy for the owner is to sell the business at some point, probably 10 years down the road. I said, I'm not going to ask what the number is. I said, but do you have a number in mind? What do you need to get out from that? She said, I'm, I'm kind of close. I know. I said, okay, great. What's your business worth today? She didn't have any idea. Huh. Okay. Let's go get a valuation on your business. You know, as you know, cause you, cause you work with other, other um, fabricators as well. You know, you know, all of us think our business is worth a lot more than it really is to somebody <laughs> else. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, part of it is the fact that, you know, if you pull the owner of the fab shop out of that business, they sell that business. A lot of times that business has a, is a big risk of collapsing. Cause that, business has built been built on that owner's expertise and yep. that owner's understanding of everything that goes on. So part of the, part of this exit strategy is building a business that is independent of the owner. So now you have something of value that can be transferred. Right. But the other thing is, okay, you think your business is worth, you know, a, a million dollars, you could sell it, you could net a million dollars today. Reality is it may only be 200,000 yep. and you really want to have two or 3 million in your pocket when you sell 10 years from now, Knowing where you really are today is important because it tells you, okay, yep. here's where I got to get to. And this is how big that gap is. Yep. And that's, again, part of that beginning with the end in mind. You got to have a baseline for where you are, too, so you know where you got to go. Yeah. Well, and I'm and I'll, uh, we had our business valued last year just as a part of this exercise. And when you <laughs> – at least for me, my – Yeah, it, well, it, yeah, it's, it's humbling. It, and it, it, I was operating in fantasy land. I mean, it's one thing to think it's worth something. It's one thing. To, but by the time you take an honest assessment of what a buyer, you know, you talk to a broker and have a real valuation done and, and yep. you, you look at it from a buyer's perspective of, of their level of risk and return on investment and what's the bank going to lend them, you know, to buy this, this uncertain outcome. And then yep. you look at the broker's fees and then you look at your taxes and then you look at any debt you've got to reconcile that's in the business and you go, wow. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, maybe from a million to two hundred thousand is a, is a, when you're talking net, net, net. What? Yeah. How much cash do I walk out of here relative to what my fantasy was before I started this process? There can be a huge gap, and so um, I'll be the first one to admit that. That uh, it, I think that's a. Chances are, if you've got a number in your head, it, it, it's possible that it's a little bit off. And if you really want to pursue this, you need to be dealing with real numbers. Well, and and when you stop and think about it from the standpoint of, of uh you know, the, the, the aging generations, you know, folks are, you know, none of us are getting any younger. Some of us have been at this for, for 20 years. Plus we think it's worth a million or two. It's really only worth maybe a quarter of a million, something like that. Wait a minute, what have I been doing for the last 20 years? Yeah. It's now time to start getting things pulled together so that what you have invested, what you have endured the last 20 years is going to pay off for you yep. when you do exit the business, whether you want to will it to your kids and you want to train them to take over or whatever it is you want to do with it. 
you know, it, it's now time to start getting some value from all that experience. And mm-hmm. to me, that's the biggest, uh, it's, it's kind of like the, the villain in the story. You know, it's just really a cry and shame that, that folks have a business that's not worth what they think it is. <laughs> they have a business that, that, that doesn't make as much money as they, they would like to have. So they can retire at some point. Mm-hmm. They don't have a business that they can make good money from and then enjoy, have time to enjoy that money today and, and as well as in the future. And so it, it's attacking that villain and it's, and it's going out and helping solve those problems for business owners. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, that, and, and that, that dovetails so well with what I've been talking about here for the last, you know, three, four, five, six, I don't know, 10 weeks, whenever it was that season three, the fab lab started back up, <laughs> this was been a theme. And, and I just, uh, it, it just is, um, it's so important because, you, like you said, you can't get that time back. You yeah. cannot recover the time. But what you can do is, is leverage that experience that maybe hasn't produced the results that you thought it would. You can, you can it, it, hope is not lost by any means. You can, you can convert, you can leverage that experience in the business going forward and compress all that experience if it's directed appropriately in, 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 in a strategy that is proven to work can be focused and implemented and, and you can regain it in a sense in that respect. Um, if if you, you know, you, you set out to, um, to achieve a very specific outcome an an exit, whether it's to exit the business or just to reach a certain milestone of, of, you know, standard of living or quality of life in and outside of the business. So, um, I love it. Love this conversation. I think that's kind of the, the big takeaway. A lot of respects is, is if you find yourself in that situation, where it's not worth as much as you thought, you've put all this time and effort into it, there is hope. There is a way to get there. Yep. Uh, I'm not the only guy that does this. You do things like this. Other, other people out there, find somebody you're happy with. Get a little, get an outsider to come in and spend a little time with you. It's worth a little bit extra time and money because you've invested so much so far. You really need to get that return for you and for your family. There, there's hope. There's a way to get there, and there are a lot of good options out there. Yeah. And what you're saying is you can. It's yeah, it's a matter absolutely. of of what are you willing to do going forward? Are you willing to make changes in your approach? Changes in the way you think about things? Changes in terms of um, you know the way the business is organized? So one of the thing, you know, one of the things that you've got that I you know just and, and I, I like to have these conversations as though nobody is listening, but then you remember oh no actually we're recording this so people actually are going to be listening to this. But oh, wait you, wait you think somebody's going to hear this? Yeah, Aaron, really? I know it's such a great conversation <laughs> you can lose track of that. Um, <laughs> But now recalling and remembering that people will be listening to this, you know, you, you mentioned, you, you paid me a very nice compliment, thank you, but I want to return that in terms of that, that video series that, that you let me watch that is, and I don't remember if that's available if, if, to anybody that you've got on the website, you know, that the way you've got that laid out, it to me is such a great on-ramp to this this strategy, this theory, this methodology to... Um, where I might be able to tell you why you need to consider doing this, I feel like I could be pretty effective at that. But in terms of that roadmap of the systematic step by step, here's where you begin. Is that is that video series that you put together available to everybody? Uh, yes and no. And if I'll it's not, I'm sorry for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's uh, I, I put it together because uh, I've had the roadmap and I've used it. I've, uh, you know, with, with COVID, you know, I can't go into plants like I used to as much. And so how do I do this thing remotely? So I want to put it in a video series. Uh, I haven't priced it yet. I can, I can make it available selectively to individuals. Okay. 
Uh, so the key is just, you know, contact me at ed at fabricatorscoach.com and we'll talk about how to do that. Great. Um, but uh, another way to do this um, as well is, is there's a, a series of articles I'm putting out at uh, Slippery Rock Gazette. And starting in December, that first step, you know, select your constraint. That's what the first article is about. And there's, you know, this is uh, February. So we're at article three now. There's three more coming. Hmm. Uh, and then I'm doing webinars to follow up. In fact, last week I had a webinar to follow up on the first article. There are questions that have popped up to me since then. I've answered those questions, had some discussion online, that kind of thing. So that's that's another way to kind of get the roadmap. Um, okay. and, and I'm happy to share the roadmap with anybody. That's not secret sauce, yeah. uh, but it's it's just good basic stuff that's just six basic steps. It will get you where you need to go. Yeah. Well, and doing a little more, you know, you, you, you kind of scratch the surface here talking about, you know, laying out this these possibilities that exist. If, if And I know I talked to enough fabricators and I've lived the experience myself that the what you're describing is probably more common than anybody anybody would like to admit in terms of the dynamics of the business and that there is a roadmap out of it. If you seek change, if you want to alter your experience, it can be done. And, and it's okay, so where do I start? I want that. Where do I begin? Fabricatorscoach.com, emailing you, edit fabricatorscoach.com to begin that. You're checking out these articles. You know, okay, I'm just hearing it for the first time. Okay, I got a couple articles in the Slippery Rock I can go read and at my own pace begin to sort of digest some of these concepts because we can only scratch the surface here in a 45, you know, 60-minute conversation. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, well, I'm sorry for putting you out there uh, with that video series. So I don't know. <laughs> No, it's not a problem. I haven't figured out what to do with it yet, to be honest. Yeah. And it's, and it's just six basic lessons. And, and, you know, to show you it's not secret sauce, it's select the constraint. And then it's set up your buffers, structure them and manage them. And there's some information about that. Then there's go in and, and drive that bottleneck to the constraint. We talked about that a little bit earlier with the CNC versus install. And that's where you get in some lean stuff, value added versus non-value added. And some of those technical definitions and how you can do that. Uh, then you get into scheduling. How do you schedule in this system? Mm-hmm. Uh, the fifth one is the financial metrics that we use, and it's not square footage. There's a, there's a, basically two simple metrics that are easy to track and easy to run, helps you with that, predicting your P&L before the month is over with. And the last lesson is all about, all right, how do you manage this? What's that daily routine? What does that rhythm look like, to use your terminology? Uh, and it's just those, those six basic steps is all you need. Mm-hmm. And whether you go to a video series or you talk to somebody who knows how to do this or they, they talk to you about it or whatever, it's not rocket science. It's all fixable stuff. As you change how you're going to run your business, having that end in mind, you know, that begin with the Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind is really critical because yeah. there are going to be some challenges as you go through that. You know, working with somebody like you who's lived this is really important because they kind of give you a heads up. Hey, when you get ready to do this, Here's what's coming next. Be thinking about how you want to handle this issue. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of thing is really helpful from somebody who's been through it before. Yeah. And that's where I think you, and we keep paying compliments back and forth here, but I really, I really <laughs> believe this, Ed, um, the, the advantage folks will have contacting you is that you've helped people Im- implement this into a business that was already arranged a different way. I was somehow fortunate to kind of stumble into this as the business was growing. And so I've never actually made that course correction. And and that's where I've always been a little reluctant to, 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 to advocate this, like you have to do this, because I've always worried there's more to this transition 
than than doing this from the outset, being able to, in a sense, implement it from day one, or, or as the business grows, incorporate this stuff. So, cause I, I don't, I wouldn't, I would, I would want to say, don't underestimate, you know, the this, the the challenges that are going to exist shifting your business strategy. Um, and I think that's where you, you know, have such an advantage having done this time and time again for companies seeing, you know, that, uh, that evolution and, and moving away from, you're going to be able to speak to that better than I can. Um, I can tell you about the outcome. I can tell you about how, but in terms of the, the actual day-to-day real life transition out of a, 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 a different approach to this approach, I, I think you're, <laughs> I think you're the guy. <laughs> so. well, I appreciate the compliment. I've, I've done this in a number of industries. I've done this in a number of plants around the country in different types of, of places, small and large. Yeah. The, the concepts are really straightforward. Uh, if you read the article series, you'll you'll see the concepts. And I'll talk enough about the, the detail that, that you should be able to get a pretty good feel for it. Mm-hmm. I've run across a few people that can read that information and actually go in and implement it. It's mm-hmm. rare, mm-hmm. but uh, usually you need a little bit of help here and there. And I'm always happy just to talk with people. Somebody's got a couple of questions, want to have a chat on the phone or something. I'm, I'm always happy to talk with folks too, just just because it's fun to do. Yeah. If I can give somebody a couple of pointers and they can go off and set the place on fire and make a big, big changes and get good results, mm-hmm. great, man. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, well, but then the, and the great thing is, is people will get into that and then recognize, you know, the value of having somebody who's, who's regularly on call and available so that those changes can be made more rapidly with greater impact, you know, um, the return on investment and that that dynamic, the coaching dynamic, is is multiples of what we can oftentimes do on our own. Um, and so I I'm a huge advocate of that. That coaching has been such a massive impact on my business career, my professional career. I, you, you can you can't separate the two. The results, the outcome is inseparable from those experiences that I've had uh, up until this point. And and so I'm a huge advocate, um, huge advocate of that. And. So that is, uh, yeah. So Ed at Fabricators. Fabricatorscoach.com. Fabricatorscoach.com. Yeah. Fantastic. So what, what else? How, how, we, how we doing here? How do you feel about this, uh, this conversation? Have we covered what you wanted to cover or what? Um... Well, it depends on how deep you want to get into the weeds. You know, we yeah. can talk about all the you know, different aspects of the six steps. Okay. And one of the things that the six steps doesn't really cover a lot, but kind of alludes to when you start looking at how you control what happens with your processes on the shop floor, at some point in that process, you got to start looking at how you handle sales. Hmm. And that ends up being probably one of the biggest challenges for some companies is depending on whether you're doing a lot of wholesale, a lot of retail or a good mix of that, whether it's commercial, residential, you know, remodels, lots of different aspects to that. But how you tee things up in your pre-template processes mm-hmm. has a huge impact in terms of how well you can execute from the time from receipt of order to, to your installation. And so getting yeah. into those details is, is almost another podcast or two to start talking yeah. about those too, uh, because that's, that's something you can't forget about in this process. And quite frankly, that's where a lot of owners struggle yeah. is because that's, that's a tough, tough challenge for them. But there are ways to actually set stages in your sales process. If you don't already have them and start to put metrics around those and start managing that funnel as it comes in. If you think of your plant floor, as this money-making machine, think about turning the crank on an old Gutenberg printing press, something like that, or an old mimeograph machine, if you're old enough to know what those are. You know, you're turning that crank to turn cash, generate cash. Well, there's a funnel that feeds that, and that's all your sales processes. Mm-hmm. 
and how all that works out until you get that signed order, get that deposit or however you run your business. Yeah. And so addressing that part of the business is just as important as all the other stuff we've talked about so far. Yeah. Well, let, let's do that. I, I mean, it's a blank slate. We get to make this up as we go. So I think that this, this has been, you know, for, um, you know, for a, an introduction to these concepts, I think that what we ought to do is just follow up with another episode. We'll just, you know, we can reconvene next week and do this again and maybe begin right there where we're, you know, we call it the information acquisition because you're exactly right. What, what I think, you know, my observation has been is that making a countertop actually doesn't take that long if you have all the information when the slabs and the templates and the work order hits the shop. It's what happens when jobs enter production with details that haven't yet been decided on or hasn't been accumulated and provided, that's where you get these, these, these unnecessarily long lead times. And, and so to begin there, cause you're right, it's huge. It's that's the, that's the biggest constraint, honestly, in my opinion, is the information that allows the job to flow through production. Um, so let's, if that's okay with you, why don't we do that? We'll, we'll begin there, talk about those six steps and um, do a part two. I'm game. I'll be happy to do that for you. Okay, fantastic. Well, this has been Ed. This has been an absolutely awesome conversation. I love, I I, I love the motivation that you have for our industry. We definitely share that in terms of our desire to take what we've been fortunate to learn and experience and to pass it along um, to the industry to individuals who want to see a similar transformation. So, thank you for taking time out of your schedule today. Thank you for coming on and being a guest. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Well, I've enjoyed it too, and I really appreciate the opportunity, Aaron. It's a lot of fun. All right. Well, let's plan on doing another one next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Okay. Thanks, Ed. All right. Thank uh, you. Uh, bye-bye. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, we were getting into the weeds there, talking about the theory of constraints, talking about a little bit of lean manufacturing and how that applies, talking about consistent lead times from template to installation. Oh man, I loved this conversation. I love this interview and I'm so excited that I get to have Ed back on the very next episode. So ladies and gentlemen, make sure you check in next time for the next episode of the Fab Lab podcast where we do part two of my interview with Steve Young. In the meantime, happy fabricating.